So, so let's 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 just pretend. By the way, you live here in Louisville, where we originate this podcast, and you don't agree with Andy Bashir's agenda, and you don't agree with white woke male Jason Glass's agenda. You don't agree. Your tax money just got used to generate activity on behalf of a political agenda you don't agree with. That's what happened today, and they and they put your kids. Everybody's kids in the middle of it. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. Put on your tinfoil hats. Sean Southerd is here. More on that yes. moment. Hey, Sean. Hello. Looks good on you. Thank you. Yeah, very, very nice. I just got it fitted. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Is that Reynolds wrap? It is. Fantastic. Made in Louisville, Kentucky, by I the way. I splurged for the 350-foot, square-foot roll. Why is Sean a conspiracy theorist? That'll be coming up in a moment. Jared Crawford is here. Hello, Jared. Hey, Joe. Scott, I didn't think you were going to be here so early. What, what, what brings you back to town so quick? Yeah, I've been in New York for the last uh, several years on Indictment Watch and uh, was up there this week thinking I was going to be there for Donald Trump's big indictment and... Didn't he Low say like behold, a week ago that it was going to happen like the next Tuesday? He said he was going to be arrested last Tuesday. So I sat in New York all week waiting for that. That never happened. And then I went back to New York thinking maybe this week. And then all of a sudden, the grand jury met once and heard from the head of the National Enquirer, David Pecker, and then said they're not going to meet for the rest of April on this matter, I guess. And so I don't. I don't know. Maybe this thing's on ice. I mean, it's always been kind of shaky. And I did see a Monmouth poll today. Over 60% of Americans said to this question, uh, do you think this investigation by Bragg in New York is more about politics or about the law? And like 60-something percent said politics. Independence, it was like 70%. Republicans, of course, was 95 to 5. Uh, so it seems like the American people are pretty much where I've been, which is this is this a political prosecution and uh, and has got uh, priorities misplaced. I'm just sorry that we're not going to be able to hear that new hit single. Nothing like getting indicted on a Tuesday. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Did that just fall flat? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I think your your tinfoil is squeezing your brain. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> I've been getting radio signals from, from someplace. But Kevin is not here with us today. How's his baby, by the way? Uh, I've been told that the baby is asleep. Oh, good. I did check in. Where is Kevin? Uh, probation. I was going to be honest. Probi- yeah. yeah. I, I have no quiz for like two weeks in a row. He he occasionally does things at the office that push the HR boundaries, and we have to mm-hmm. you know, to send him away. Jared knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Well, I've, been to- I've been told not to talk. About raise your it, you know? raise your hand if you've ever felt victimized by one Kevin Grout. Yeah. Raise, raise your hand. A lot of hands. A lot up of hands. Wow. <laughs> people can't people can't see it, but oh, a lot of hands. Just got this pulled. is so much worse than what it could have been. Otherwise. I mean, I look. Kevin, I'm I just, sorry. I feel like our, the audience wants us to be honest with them, and there's a reason Kevin isn't here. We can't say what that reason is because of our attorneys, but um, maybe uh, we're not going to have a show next week because it's spring break. Uh, we're not going to have a panel, but then maybe the week after that, this is, Kevin, sort, of, this is sort of like the Trump grand jury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Follow Kevin on Truth Cho- Truth Social, maybe. You know? <laughs> <laughs> maybe so we've account. actually we've actually sent a uh, a carrier pigeon to see if uh, Mr. Pecker would like to participate as part of the next Flyover Country <laughs> podcast and replace Kevin Grout. I mean, Kevin, this... you're always welcome back. We can't wait to see you again once your suspension I, ends. I just 
I just think you need to run this by legal before you make such sweeping statements. So, so back to Trump. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> I was thinking, and I was trying to Google it while we, you, were, you were making fun of Kevin, uh, that whether there was a statute of limitations on this. Well, so I was thinking that was going to run out, and this this could be Bragg's kind of exit strategy. Well, this is a big thing. He's <laughs> apparently he believes that there's a statute that's coming up, according to some of the. You know, the more Trump dead enders up there I'm on TV with. Like, it's May is what they're saying. Can but, I quote the NPR story real quick? Well, let me yeah, just say, but, yeah. but then there are other people who are like, the statute should have run out on this years ago. And and so no one's quite sure how he's going to contort this. But please, go this ahead. This is the best line I've ever read in the NPR story. Prosecutors have said the statute of limitations does not apply in this case because... Trump has not resided out of state. Uh, Trump has resided out of state since 2017, and because of COVID nineteen. Yes, <laughs> Trump and COVID Those years just don't count. They just don't, they just count. don't count. They just don't count. That is that is classic. Yeah, that is cla- COVID nineteen basically froze time. Yeah. Well, it also, as we knew, as we knew at the time, it also it meant that most laws didn't apply. Yeah, you know, states of emergency. We're going to suspend the Constitution. This is truly. This is this that is this is a nutshell of all of that era. I mean, it's New York City. I was surprised to hear that any laws applied. Lattes <laughs> up. That is amazing. This case, I know we talked about it before, but I just I still can't get over. It. It's a seven-year-old paperwork case on a sixteen-year-old alleged affair. So, I mean, it's a misdemeanor going back seven years. I mean, this is like if you. Rented a car in Iowa and ran a red light, and seven years later they finally tracked you down and sent you a ticket. That they are contorting into a misdem- uh, into a felony. At the same time, by the way, so I've been up in New York for a couple of weeks, and too, <laughs> I'm, too I'm, long, by the way. I'm walking around up there during the day. I do a lot of walking around New York, guys. There are people in like broad daylight just sitting. Like literally sitting on the middle of the sidewalk, shooting up with drugs, and people are just walking by, just like it's, just like it's normal. I, I mean, I must have seen six it's or Wednesday. seven junkies. Yeah. Just it's middle of the afternoon, people with needles shooting up, and yet the DA's office up there is after Trump's seven-year-old misdemeanor and sixteen-year-old fling with Stormy Daniels, and yet we have the city is awash in drugs. Criminals, violence, you name it. it. It's I mean that that's the thing here. Love or hate Trump, there there has to be a question about prosecutors in big cities and what are their priorities. Washington D.C. is the same way right now. They're carjacking cars in the broad daylight. Rand Paul's staffer got and stabbed, assault. I mean, severely injured. These big cities are out of control. And it's a legitimate question. What are these prosecutors doing? Nothing. I, nothing is the answer. Nothing. Yeah, right. It's crazy. Scott, I have to give you credit, which pains me at times, but mm-hmm. uh, as CNN's resident Republican. And Gwyneth Paltrow expert. That is true. That's a senior, whole other story. Senior, senior, Gwyneth, Gwyneth, Paltrow. senior Gwyneth Paltrow expert <laughs> in lady parts. Uh, you have to Google it if you've missed it. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of you, you do get some grief sometimes from the Republican faithful about why you, you would appear on, you know, the yeah. the Clinton News Network, whatever Rush used to call it, or et cetera. But I, th- I, I think that you have truly sh- shaped the narrative on CNN and changed some of the national conversation on this Trump thing, because 
you were the first on the network to be describing it in the way that you did, as well as um, talking about, and again, to your credit to say, and, and, and the social media people will, will try to uh, mischaracterize you as a Trump apologist. Yeah. Instead, you're saying there are far more serious, legitimate concerns that Trump is being investigated for and why undermine those cases. So you're actually backing up people who want to hold them accountable to borrow a word. But I've, I, but time as this has dripped, dripped, dripped over the last week and a half, I have heard more and more people of a variety of political strokes taking on basically what you've, what you're saying. Yeah. So, I, so, so good job. Thank you. Yes. Well, I, I thought I was in the right on my opinion right out of the gate, which was, you know, sometimes things are, are nuanced. And the nuance here is you don't have to defend Donald Trump's behavior 16 years ago. You also don't have to defend Alvin Bragg, who I think is making a terrible prosecutorial decision. And you also don't have to say, well, because this one is politically motivated, so is Georgia or so is January 6th. So it, it's possible for adults you know, to look at a, a broad set of facts and come up. But but that's the thing about Trump is like, you know, I'm, I'm up there with people. Some of the folks I'm on with are just I mean, they, they, they truly want to put him in jail for anything because they believe he's never been held accountable for anything. So it doesn't really matter what we're putting him in jail for mm -hmm. as long as he gets his comeuppance. And I don't believe in that. I just think it's wrong. And he may get rung up by Georgia or the feds or the special prosecutor. But if he gets run up, rung up by Alvin Bragg over Stormy Daniels and a seven-year-old sex paperwork case, give me a friggin' break. That's not, by the way, that's not the kind of justice system we want. And if it happens, what's going to stop some Republican prosecutor out there from coming up with a way to go after Joe Biden or the next Democrat? And so I just, this is not the country we want. It's not the way we want it to be. And so I've been I've been trying to been trying to stick to that. So thank you for saying that. Uh, I'd be curious to see and, and what Alvin Bragg is aware of. If any of the other prosecutors, such in Georgia, for instance, have somehow back channeled to say, "Hey, here's where we are on our case," because frankly, if Trump would Trump would be indicted in Georgia, mm. I think that Bragg's case just goes away anyway. Well, it's one of those you could you know if he were to get rung up on these other cases. You know, sometime later on, you could just tack it on at the end kind of quietly, and it, and it probably wouldn't get all that much notice. If it right. goes first, right? it really does set the tone that everything going on with Trump is political. I mean, he's got four things. He's got the brag thing. He's got the documents, the Mar-a-Lago documents. He's got the, the Georgia prosecution, and then he's got January 6th. Republicans, I think, are going to see the Bragg case and the Mar-a-Lago documents the same, mm -hmm. which is this is either a political prosecution or on the documents. Well, what about Joe Biden's documents? Right. But the other two, to me, are are far more consequential. So we'll see how it shakes out. But uh, I have to say, uh, I, you know, I have encountered several people who have. Well, I was on with a guy the other night, and he was and, and he was asked, uh, "Well, what if Bragg doesn't do it?" And and he said, "Well, you know, he's in a tough spot. His his constituents are wondering if he's up to the task." Right. And I said. Up to what task? What's the task? Is the task to just put Donald Trump in jail? Or is the task to uphold the law? Well, and the, several of the guests that you've been on with, and again, their their views have evolved on this the longer this goes on, maybe yeah. to help kind of cover Bragg to a certain extent politically. 
they've they have said in so many words to repeat what you said is that someone needs to hold Trump accountable. It doesn't matter what it's on. Yeah, they don't care. It's just, it's just like someone needs to stop him. I just I find that I find that I, so I read weird. that on social media again. I and I I so I, what I do is that I look at the comments following people talking about Scott, and then what they say is well. You must be a white supremacist <laughs> if you don't want Trump to be held accountable. I'm like, I don't understand Ugh. the connection between Stormy Daniels and white supremacy Ugh. versus anything else. It's just, it is, it's bizarre to me. Anyway, but good job. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm home, and uh, and I guess Donald Trump's off the hook at least in New York for a month, and we'll see what the other cases, what the other cases bring. So, uh, but I think we ought to get to stories. Breaking today. Breaking news. We have breaking news close in, to home. We have breaking news in New York with the with the grand jury going to Disney World, and we have uh, breaking news in Kentucky. Sean Southern, with uh, put the hat back on. Okay, good, <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> so, so what is happening? So Senate Bill One Fifty, which has been characterized in the mm-hmm. media as either the most anti. Trans bill in the country are most what, drastic, most, I think, is on most the extreme yeah, kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. uh, but this this is a bill that um, basically protects parents' rights when it comes to the, the their own children, as well as protects children from uh, having permanent uh, changes made to them, either medically or surgically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, either from pharmaceuticals or or by uh, or by surgery that are irreversible. Uh, that the decisions made it a, a you know as an elementary age on. Uh, so anyway, this is so the so the, the general assembly uh, acted in good conscience, protecting children, and the the governor vetoed that, yes. saying that it was uh, you know against his faith, against his faith. Um, but tell me what's going on here with the education. Yeah, I've, so, I've lost track of all this. So tell me what so, happened. So so today uh, was the day that the general assembly gaveled back in to override some of these vetoes uh, from the governor, including a Senate Bill one fifty and. Drew a lot of attention and a lot of visitors uh, to the Capitol, and uh, we'll talk about that momentarily. All right, and uh, so they went through and were overriding a bunch of these vetoes, and uh, I happened to see that you know there were some school buses up there at, in Frankfurt today. Wait, and today's what day of the week? Today is Wednesday. It's a Wednesday, and correct me if I'm wrong. Traditionally, Wednesday schools are in session. Yes, traditionally. Okay, yeah. go on. So no, there correct, are there correct, are field correct. trips that happen where, where where students get a tour of the Capitol. Yeah. They go to the governor's mansion. Yeah. They go to the Kentucky History Museum. Uh. They see the different parts. So I'm, a, I'm I would think <laughs> that if students are coming up to Frankfurt with school buses, they'd be maybe visiting the Supreme Court, maybe seeing the legislator. They're seeing the state capitol. They're learning about the assassination of the uh, Governor Goebel back in uh, you know 1902 Ooh. or something like that. Governor Goebel. Goebel. Whatever. Goebel. <laughs> wasn't Goebbels. Anyway, whatever his name was. <laughs> So, but they. But were, anyways, but, so but, but they were not getting the, the full tour. What were they doing there? Oh, they were getting a tour, all right. Uh, they were getting a tour outside the the state capitol, and uh, they were a lot of students were protesting uh, Senate Bill One Fifty. So wait, you're telling me that the Jefferson County Public School System and their school buses and mm-hmm. their school drivers on a school day drove the students away from the school to Frankfurt in order to protest. In support of Andy Bashir's agenda? Yes. Interesting. Yes. So that would be a a school district sanctioned and paid for yeah. so you're, political so, exercise? Well, that's, so, that's what I wanted to know, which is so I, I put out a statement on this, and JCPS thankfully responded. And So what was your statement? What did you say? Well, I, I said, you know, this look, seems to me is that this is a taxpayer-funded protest of 
in, in support of Andy Bashir's agenda. Well, nobody could could take issue with that because it's clearly what happened. Well, you'd be shocked <laughs> because some people did. Really? Yes. Uh, JCPS put out a statement saying that engaging in civic activities is a valuable part of the educational experience and that it was a student-led field trip. It's student-centered. Uh, student-led field trip. Do they drive when the, the when, bus? The, when, the <laughs> students, when the students find out, by the way, that they can all just make up their own field trips to oh, yeah. whatever, they'll right. be they'll all be on a field trip to everywhere tomorrow. To, I'll just say opening day is to, is this Thursday. <laughs> There's kids. a lot of value in the right. history of baseball too. Well, you can make right. that argument. And then and then in res- the the education commissioner Jason Glass was who is Bashir's Andy Bashir's Andy Bashir's yes. education commissioner installed by his board of education that he appointed only Democrats to on his first day in office. So yeah. a little bit of history there. Well, for I, you. wasn't there also? I mean, just just to be clear, wasn't it just that he appointed Democrats? Didn't he actually fire the old one? Yes, yes that's true. I mean, so, I mean, it wasn't like there were there's all these openings. Pretty pretty, pretty <laughs> he, sure he was the first. He, the the one that he fired was the first African American commissioner of education as well. So and know. then he installed this white male, Jason Glass. Sure. Okay. And so uh, the the education Andy Bashir's education commissioner says the statement from the Kentucky Republican Party is another invented fanciful conspiracy theory. Ah, oh, that's why you're wearing the tinfoil hat. Yes, that's why I have my new attire tonight. I now we understand. Now I thought you just bring been to the, it all I, together. I for thought you'd you been all. to the salon. I no, didn't know. <laughs> no, no highlights here. <laughs> Getting his tips. No, I didn't know. What, no highlights. No. I mean, and then he said you were fanciful. I thought maybe he just meant you were fancy. I didn't oh, know. That's right. <laughs> then he went on to say that the reason that people are protesting, people, you know, students yeah. are protesting the Capitol Day is a result of the General Assembly's bigoted, hateful, and shameful legislation. So Andy Bashir and his hand-picked education commissioner are both okay with taxpayers in Jefferson County paying to have students bust to the state capitol for the purpose of supporting the Democrat Party agenda, which is, by the way, overwhelmingly unpopular, both in terms of polling and in terms of the legislature. Yes. Okay. What? Do you all – I mean, and here's the thing. It's like, do you think that – I don't know. Do you think that JCPS would – Foot the bill for students who felt so inclined to go to a pro-life rally or yeah, what, what a school if, choice rally? or What if a or, student – it's a great question you should ask t- uh, tomorrow. What if a student said, I'd like to commandeer a school bus and go have a pro-life rally? Do you believe JCPS would allow it? What would the ACLU do yeah, about yeah. that kind of expenditure? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, what I think is remarkable about what you did today, Sean, was also – point out that Jefferson County, Kentucky, has some of the worst yes. test scores in the nation when it comes to students reading and doing math at grade level. So not only did taxpayer money go towards generating a protest on behalf of Andy Bashir and Jason Glass's radical liberal agenda, these students were taken away from the classroom where they clearly need to be because in Jefferson County, Louisville, Kentucky, they cannot read or write or do math. This is outrageous what you uncovered today. Outrageous. What's so crazy to me is is not that long ago, it's sort of the peak of COVID when critical race theory and some of the other you know, issues in the classroom became uh, very high profile. Parents were not only labeled domestic terrorists, but everyone on the left said, you guys are making this up. This isn't real. What, 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 what are you talking about here? We, mm-hmm. We're just teaching math. We're just teaching history. We're just teaching about Roberto Clemente. This isn't, you know, racism. 
And now all of a sudden, today, we're seeing the entire education establishment from the governor to his board to his to to glass to jcps clearly has this political agenda that two years ago we were called conspiracy theorists for for daring to say hey are you guys just teaching them math and history and reading and arithmetic all these things and they were like okay of course we are that's all we're doing and today we're now seeing the entire establishment defending the idea that they want to be a political organization that that the public schools are not just you know, uh, ambivalent to these ideas. They have an agenda and they're willing to engage on it and push students into it and all these sorts of things. Talked about this a couple weeks ago with Action Civics. This is clearly out of the left's playbook. It's, I mean, and two years ago, we were we were screamed up and down for daring to say that this happened. What, what is, I guess, I guess there's a world where you could defend this if you were sending your student to a private school that chose to do this with the parents acquiescence this is a this is a public school system taxpayer money funds the public school system now here's the thing just so so but, let's let's just yeah. pretend by the way right. you live here in louisville where we originate this podcast and you don't agree with andy Bashir's agenda and you don't agree with white woke male jason glass's agenda you don't agree your tax money just got used to generate activity on behalf of a political agenda you don't agree with that's what happened today mm-hmm. and they and they put your kids everybody's kids in the middle of it well and i and i also up to, to jared's point the kids who are <laughs> there are some kids who might actually believe these things this is fine but also there's some what of this you know this approved or what is the sanctioned official line yeah. of the school district and then you there is you can't help but there's pressure there there's a natural pressure just being surrounded by it this is going to be the accepted line of thinking yeah. if you're going to be you know one of us come along with it but i was going to say scott just to be clear about first amendment free speech or otherwise if there is a parent who wanted to allow their child to go to frankfurt today and protest and to get them there whether it's through themselves take giving them a ride or if they wanted to hire a bus on their own or a van take their child out of school to say it's important for us to be there that's fine that's fine for a parent to make that decision the difference here is not a matter of not it's not that the student isn't allowed to be there isn't allowed to to express their opinion or a parent can't express their opinion at least in my opinion the, the the difference here is that the school district is sanctioning these students to go there so it's it's clearly this is going to be the official line of the school. How can you go back to that school and into the classroom tomorrow or the, the day after this happened and, and not believe in that school? This is what we believe here. This is the official line. Let, let's go back in time on Wokezilla, Jason Glass. The first thing you uncovered mm-hmm. about this guy was what? The pronoun the, guide that he yeah. sent out to all... The yeah. schools? Yes. He preferred names and pronouns. He sent it to all public schools, guidance. Then he was called before our education committee and mm-hmm. asked about it. And he said that it, when when approached by a legislator, he said, you know, there's some teachers who, who don't agree with this and they're uncomfortable about it. What would you say to those teachers? And he said, well, they need to find another job. Yeah. So he was threatening to fire school teachers who wouldn't enforce his pronoun ideology. Now he is sanctioning, along with Andy Bashir, 
the commandeering of taxpayer assets to put kids in Frankfurt who should be doing math and English, put them in Frankfurt as pawns for their political agenda. This is a full-blown scandal. And this is in Kentucky. In Kentucky. In Kentucky. It's a full-blown scandal what Glass and Bashir are doing. Not to mention, these are the exact same two people, Bashir and Glass, who threatened these schools during COVID who dared to open. That, that they said, if you were, were recommending that you don't, you've been given the power to potentially open, but we're recommending that you don't, was asked, well, like, what are you going to do if they do? And it was like, well, you don't want to know what's going to happen if you do. I mean, the, these they're, they're, they are bullies when it comes to their agenda, whether it be reopening schools, whether it be the curriculum of these schools, the, the political agenda that they're trying to pass. They are bullying these teachers. They are bullying these school districts who want nothing to do with their vision for Kentucky's education. Let's also remember that both of these individuals, Glass and Bashir, opposed the bill combating critical race theory in the classroom. This is not like some sort of isolated incident. There's a pattern here, and they view the school system as a way of protecting their political agenda. That is it. I, I think the, the troubling thing about Bashir and Glass is that, that I think they do view schools— and teachers' unions as wholly owned subsidiaries of their political agenda, of their party. And even though, you know, these are public schools, everybody's kids go there, um, I I think they just view them. I mean, look, the, the Democratic Party infrastructure in Kentucky is essentially defunct. So they've just essentially replaced it with schools and teachers' unions. And, oh, by the way, along the way, we're going to put your kids in the middle of it, taxpayer, whether you agree with our political ideology or not. And I just – this look, we have a governor's race going on, Republican primary going on right now. But it strikes me that when the general election rolls around, somebody's going to have to draw this contrast with Andy Bashir. And, oh, by the way, if there were ever, ever a great argument for school choice, it happened today. It's happening right now. For some reason, we didn't pass it. But maybe we'll get around to it now that the truth is revealed. Radical, liberal, progressive ideology being enforced by Glass and his boss, Andy Bashir. It's a good reason for school choice. So, Sean, you've pointed this out. You clearly got the attention and of, of, of the Education Department, because they gave a statement, right? Mm-hmm. And the and as well as JCPS gave a statement. What's next? What where do we go from here? Well, there's a there's a resolution right now that's been introduced uh, by by several members of the the state house uh, to tell the Board of Education to send Commissioner Glass packing, as uh, Representative Josh Calloway said uh, today, uh, to which the uh, the spokesperson for the Department of Education said that members of the General Assembly didn't have the courage. Uh, to send them the resolution to look at, whatever that means. I, I, go ahead. Well, I, I got to say, I hope they pass that, but I have to say, early on in this gubernatorial primary, I'm just going to – Kelly Craft actually came out and said she was going to dismantle the Department of Education. And at the time, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Now I get it. <laughs> like, now I get it. <laughs> if this is what Glass and his boss, Andy Bashir are going to do, I, I mean – it's not the Department of Education. It's the Department of Wokeification. This is the this is the Department of Indoctrination. 
and it's wrong. And I, I mean, it goes back to what Jerry was saying before is that, you know, years ago, if if you had said that people would say, Oh, you're, you're exaggerating. What, what, why would you say that? But now to the point is I think people now would say, well, maybe we need to indoctrinate if the ignorant rubes from throughout Kentucky. Well, that's what Gla- the- that's what Glass is saying. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. This is where we come to now. Is that yes. they're saying the quiet part out loud. Well, you know, this I is mean, the part where they're yeah. saying. By the way, you what don't were deserve the, it. What were the vote totals on the vote to override Bashir in the House? Oh, in the Senate? It was seventy something. Yeah, seventy something yeah. out of hundred in the House and like twenty nine out of thirty eight in the Senate. Yeah, is overwhelming. I mean, th- this is not a controversial matter. This is an overwhelming position of the General Assembly and the people of Kentucky who elect the General Assembly. And by the way, the legislators are, in fact, protecting children. The fact that children are going to, to Frankfurt to, to protest this, I'm sorry, you're not old enough to make these decisions on your own. There are adults who care about your future who later on hopefully will come back and say thank you for being adults in the room and not you know, somehow being completely hijacked by a very fringe group. Well, I know you were called a fancy conspiracy theorist today, Sean. I'm fanciful. Sorry. Fanciful. fanciful. Sorry. At least I'm a fanciful conspiracy <laughs> theorist. But let me you oh, just want to finish this. You said you asked where does this all end up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is on the ballot this November. Jason Glass is on the ballot. This Andy Bashir's education commissioner is on the ballot this November. I mean, it might as well be Bashir Glass. I mean, his lieutenant governor is useless and no one even hears from her. Right. Gla- He's supposed to be an educator and supposed to be very involved uh, yeah, in all Yeah, whatever. This. Glass for all intents and purposes. Glass is Bashir's running mate, because if, if education is going to be the, the issue, it's the Bashir Glass ticket. And and Andy Bashir on his first day in office, reorganized this board, wiped out the yes. Republicans from the board. And so there's a precedent now for getting the education department back on the right footing the first day of a Republican so you're governor. Saying the next Republican, the next governor could actually do the exact same thing. And, oh, yeah. And, just, and fix this situation. Oh, I think if you elected a Republican governor of Kentucky, Jason Glass would probably not be working here much longer. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Bashir set the precedent. This is the power he claimed. So don't be surprised when uh, Jason Glass has to go back out west or whatever, wherever he came from. Scott, you were in uh, at CNN in New York this past week when, of course, tragedy occurred in Nashville, and you began, you know, and of course the network yeah. shifted its, its coverage from uh, Donald Trump's pending indictment to... The, uh, the the terrible uh, shooting deaths of, of six people, um, uh, those three students and three adults at the Presbyterian school there in in Nashville. Um, first of all, I mean, this is obviously this is we're learning more about what happened. I just want to say, and I know you've said the same thing, um, the most and we'll get to a lot of different issues here. Uh, and I'm curious what everyone wants to talk about. Just to, But as things are happening here and as I'm seeing things unfold in terms of what the reaction was. I first off just have to talk about the Nashville Police Department. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, on a variety of things. Now, clearly, clearly the videos show and just the, the, the amount of time, the, 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 the quick response to get there and to, well, if I could just for a moment, just bear with me, guys. So I'm a former reporter. And I covered quite a, you know, a, you can't help but cover police over 20 years or so and doing ride-alongs, whatever else. The one thing that always struck me as, as really um, – as 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 odd and 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 just uh, frustrating is when people would call or complain after a story and say, "Well, why didn't the police like do this or this or this?" A lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, as if they're watching a movie and everyone knows where the shooter is, everyone knows what the problem is. All they have to do is go go stop them. 
Well, those videos and the transparency overall, this police department to show what it takes. When you watch the in the painstaking way that they have to go th- into that building, first of all, not knowing if the very moment they walk in, they're going to get shot. Mm-hmm. But they're, 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 they're clearing individual rooms. They're saying clear, clear. They're going on. Then they finally make their way upstairs, lock door, come back around. But all those things. And then finally you're able to to uh, to put down the shooter and and to stop the carnage. So a couple things. First of all, you, you can see that it's not automatic, right? It, it, it takes a training and it takes a, a great deal of, of discipline and just an extraordinary job there. But then beyond that is just the amount of transparency from this police department in the first place. There's been a lot of situations in the past where people have this, you don't hear any information. Everything was pretty much instant in this situation. And they didn't, they didn't seem to be as concerned about, okay, what kind of narrative am I going to be, uh, you know, writing here? They, they let the reporters and the public take the information and trust us that we can deal with it rather than saying, let's all digest this first and then we're going to put out a report later on that somehow is going to fit one construct or another. So sorry for pontificating there, but overall, you're, we'll call you, you first, Scott, and then Sean and Derrick, as far as the, this situation. Of course, it's horrible in the first place. Yeah, uh, the cops, absolute heroes, A. B, um, boy, uh, yeah, I've got a nine-year-old. And when I heard the ages of these kids, it just, it's, I mean, it really hits home for any parent who drops a kid off at school. Yeah, it's the thought that they would not come home. I mean, it's, you, I mean, who, I don't even know what I would do. I mean, awful. Um, so, terrible story. I think several people in the media have disgraced themselves. If you've seen some of the tweets and the headlines and the way this has been described by Reuters and some other people absolutely former christian school student yeah i mean absolutely outrageous and i've even heard people <laughs> i was on the other i mean i've heard people say well we shouldn't even worry about the shooter it doesn't matter what was on the shooter's mind it doesn't matter what their motivation i've seen was. them say it to you on cnn i know and it's like what we're not curious <laughs> why somebody went out and did this you know, unspeakable evil. We've been very curious in the past when it happens. Well, I mean, in the past, you know, we know we know if their third cousin ever gave five dollars to Gerald Ford. I mean, you know, we know immediately the political ideology of anyone who they ever met. But for some reason, in this case, that's all been <laughs> wave, wave it away. We're not allowed to talk about that. I wonder why. So that's been a disgrace, I think, and. Josh Hawley and a bunch of congressmen are asking questions now that I brought up that night. Why is this? Why are we not at least asking the question? Is this an anti-Christian hate crime? Because obviously the shooter picked out a Christian school inside of a church and went and murdered Christians. Strikes me that the Department of Justice, at a minimum, ought to look into it. And I know there are demands for Garland to do that, but. Honestly, I don't get the feeling Joe Biden is taking that issue seriously, Jared. I don't believe that Christians were targeted in the I, I have no idea. Josh Holy believes they were. What are you saying to that? Well, I probably don't then. <laughs> no. No, I have no idea. So just, just, to, just to tell you what happened there, Joe Biden went out on the South Lawn. And it's loud out there because of the chopper. But 
was asked, "Do you uh, what do you think about Josh Hawley saying this this needs to be investigated as an anti-Christian hate crime?" And he said, "Well, if Josh Hawley thinks that, then I don't." Oh, I'm just joking. Do you hear anybody laughing? <clears throat> I mean, this is a terrible thing, and I just I mean, it's pretty obvious Joe Biden could care less whether it's an anti-Christian hate crime. If this shooting had taken place anywhere else, in any other installation, I promise you it would already be in, being investigated as a hate crime. So I'm, I'm sad that our president is so flip about the death of three kids and three adults inside of a Christian school, inside of a Christian church. It, it makes me sad, but it tells me where his mind is on this, which is more on waving away any investigation of the ideology of the shooter. Uh, Because, let's just be honest, it's his political constituency. They won't allow it. This guy's chain has been jerked by a political, a far-left radical political constituency that will not permit an honest conversation about what the heck happened in Nashville. Well, I just want to add my voice to all those who are thinking of the families of the victims that were affected by this atrocity. Does feel like we go through these too frequent in our country. Um, I I I'd agree with a lot of what Scott said. It's been interesting to see the lack of motivation or interest on the part of people to look into this and to see what was the motivation behind this this crime. And uh, in particular, I I've been shocked to see news reports and some of these. Democrat organizations and leftist organizations come out and say something to the effect of, well, we know there's a manifesto that this person wrote. It shouldn't be released. We shouldn't look into it. It actually would cause more harm to have that manifesto released than to do good. Because we go through this every now and then, we've seen situations where there are notes written. There are posts on social media. And for some reason, because this person is a member of the left or for whatever other reason, there's no interest in seeing this manifesto to verify any of the claims about whether this was an anti-Christian hate crime or, or whatever. We don't even know because all of a sudden there's just a lack of interest. And I think that It's incumbent upon law enforcement to treat this situation like they would treat any other tragic shooting. And I I just I hope that they continue to do what they've done, which is treat it with the utmost seriousness that it deserves. I also want to say this was nothing like how Uvalde went down with those law enforcement officers. They did exactly what they were supposed to do, and they deserve massive appreciation for how they uh, just completely handle that situation with the utmost professionalism. Yeah, I, I, I tend to think these tragedies kind of, unfortunately, are, they bring out some of the, the best in people and then in moments bring out some of really the worst and, uh, you know, the, the mainstream media or, you know, random people. The best obviously being from the police officers to the, the teacher who was – or the you know the administrators who, who was outside the school ready with the keys. I mean, yeah, that was amazing. I, I can't even imagine, right? Like, 
I'm sure they they you know practice for this, but in that moment for her, who's not a not really right. trained to do this, to to still have the whereabouts to. Well, in fact, that she doesn't. This teacher is out, obviously, completely unprotected. Yes. Yeah. This teacher's out there who could be gunned down any moment, yeah. and is waiting for the police, saying, "We can't find two kids. Yeah. Here are the keys." Yeah, the keys. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah, and so from from those moments to the the way the community rallies to, you know, support these parents and and the families, and I mean, little things like not having to pay for funeral expenses, right? I mean, we will see all of that, and then you unfortunately get some of the worst the the people who. I mean, there's there was people insinuating that because the Daily Wire is is located in Nashville, that that somehow has fomented this oh. this hate. I mean, it it really does bring out the worst in people. I, I I don't know what it is. I think it's sometimes like because the tragedy is so awful, they feel compelled to have such a radical response right. to prove. It's like the it's like virtue signaling on steroids so you come out and say the most ridiculous things because you have to prove that you care or you're more affected than somebody else it, it, it after all these tragedies a narrative usually unspools the paul pelosi attack a crazy homeless mentally ill drug-addled lunatic shows up and attacks pelosi and within minutes, you had people out there saying, oh, it was a radicalized Trump supporter. But what just wasn't true. Yeah. And there's always a movement to, to, to turn these tragedies into a political cudgel by the left against Republicans. And in this case, to the point you were just making, it was, well, you know, Tennessee just passed some laws. Well, what's the next sentence? Like, are you saying they deserved it? I mean, is that yeah. is that your point in saying if you go, that? If you go back and look, just do a review. It's despicable. Uh, even, and frankly, going back to Frankfurt as well, and the, the, who has said the most vile, hurtful, personally attacking language? And I'm I, I, you look it up yourself. Yeah. With all these situations, uh, you know, this is it's 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 people do have differences of opinion in this world. But you don't. You don't have to be vile and 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 castigate someone personally about all of it. And this is what was for right now. To your point, it's just, this is license. This is to say, yeah, this is well. You you, you had it coming. L- listening to people, by the way, describe <laughs> this shooting, it's like the guns just up and walked into the school and shot some people. It, it actually reminds me of the Wisconsin Christmas parade. Remember that one? Oh, that was just the car. Or the SUV SUV, yeah. SUV plows through crowd. Yeah. Oh, it did. It just, up and, it just up and plowed yeah, through the crowd. Yeah. Well, who was driving? Or how about, I mean, the Michigan State shooting. When's the last time you heard anything about that? Yeah. When we realized what happened. The prosecutor there had busted down a previous gun crime to a misdemeanor, which allowed this person to get a gun and go shoot up the campus. Well, that got disappeared. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the way this is being handled and talked about, it's nuts. It's crazy. There is there was a piece in, in City Journal a couple weeks ago about the trans legislation, and you've seen this. We saw this in Kentucky today and over the last few weeks of legislators getting up and saying, because this passed, children will die. And not only is that not you know scientifically true that, that one action can really lead to suicide, we, we know that it's usually a lifetime of, of ills and, and terrible thoughts and, and things happening to you. It, it's sort of the, the same thing here, that because they passed this law, this happened, right? We like to fit things into neat boxes. This shooter 
had a lifetime of ills. They were not radicalized within six days of this law passing, or what you know, or, or however many you know months that these bills have been passing in other states. This is why it's so important to be open about things like a manifesto, or to understand why this person was so radicalized. Because it's not just one thing. We like to act like, oh, it's just the gun, or it's just X, or it's just Y. It's never that simple that leads to these tragedies. And and the left particularly likes to fit these things into this little box of like X was, you know, X law was passed, so they went and shot up school. It's never that simple. It's it's really it's really disingenuous for them to use that. There are violent tendencies on the left over this issue and others. But like, did you guys see what happened in Arizona? Yes. The press secretary for the new governor, Hobbs, who defeated Carrie Lake. Yes. The press secretary, within hours of this shooting happened, posted a tweet that said, us, when we see transphobes, and it's a picture of a, of a woman holding two guns. This was like in reaction to the shooting. Now, this person's now had to resign. Good. Now, we were told for the entire campaign that it was Carrie Lake who was the radical, dangerous, whatever. So she was saying there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a meme of somebody yeah. holding two guns and saying basically— That's the press secretary—I'm showing it to Joe. That's the press secretary of the governor of Arizona. Now, she's had to resign. But I just find it amazing that for an entire year we were assured that in this race, Carrie Lake is the nut, violent, radical, unstable, whatever. And within months— Weeks of this Democrat taking office in Arizona, she's already had to fire a staffer who's posting a meme in the wake of a shooting threatening more violence. Let me just take a moment here and ask this question sincerely of ever and anyone who might have access to anyone who's who believes that this kind of vitriol is justified. Dial it down. Dial it back. There are people who are literally getting killed because you are ginning up this kind of hatred. It's the same thing if it was anti a certain race, anti a certain nationality, anti a certain religion of any previous shooting. Anyone who stirs up that kind of hatred and tries to justify in some way, in some sick, twisted way, that your violence against them is somehow justified because of your own personal feelings. I don't care if it's Charlottesville or if it's, I mean, fill in the blank. If there is hatred, stop it and don't feed into it. And if I could, and this is on the question of mental illness and and self-harm or harm to others and the violent tendency you're talking about, I was really, really bothered by, and I've heard several people say it, including in Kentucky, tragically, basically daring children to hurt themselves if this law passes and to say, you watch, you watch, you pass this and people are going to die. That It curdled my blood when I heard someone on the floor of the Kentucky House say this. Are you kidding me? Are you literally challenging somebody who's mentally ill to say you're gonna, they, they should kill themselves or kill someone else if you pass this law? Do you realize what you're doing? It, I mean, it, I am, I am, I'm emotional right now about it, guys, and I'm sorry, but it, it, it is— it's awful. It yeah. is awful. I mean, the fact that you're saying we'll come back a year from now and see, we'll take a death, we'll take a body count. Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, it is sick and twisted. Dial it down. Because you are killing people when you gen up that kind of hatred against someone else. Listen, I agree. I understand if you dis- if we have a disagreement here 
about what should be taught, whatever else. Let's work on that in a nonviolent way. All right. But in the meantime, if just because legislators might dis- might choose in Kentucky or Tennessee to say maybe let's hit the pause button on permanently changing the DNA or the, not the DNA, but the but the the, the physical the permanent physical uh, makeup of a child as far as what they had to do with the rest of their life. Let's, let's hit the pause button on this because right now this is you're, we're trying to protect children. And the response to that is, well, you're going to cause someone to kill themselves. It's irresponsible. I, 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 I just, uh, it, it, I, that happened, I guess, a couple of weeks ago now, and I'm still just. Well, and, and it, it keeps being said in various ways over and over and over again. Uh, in various formats, uh, you know, the media on this story, I mentioned that I thought it had many people had disgraced themselves. NBC News. Now, three children at a Christian school and three adults inside of a Christian school are murdered, dead. Here's the headline. Fear pervades Tennessee's trans community amid focus on Nashville shooters' gender identity. We were already fearing for our lives. Now it's even worse. Well, I wonder if NBC checked in with the Christian school community in NBC in Nashville. I wonder if I wonder if they thought to ask, "Are you fearing for your lives?" The only dead people here are at the school, and this is like what you get. I tell you, this 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 whole thing has been tragic, heartbreaking, disappointing. I mean, it's it's bad, man. It's. Uh, this is a rough story, and uh, at the heart of it, these poor, poor little kids who did nothing except get up and go to school. Awful. I do, not surprisingly, I'm the contrarian on another issue here. The one I do have some reticence when it comes to the so-called manifesto. Now, we don't. the only reason why I know, we know that there is some kind of a manifesto is because the police department has said that there's a manifesto, right? Mm-hmm. I think the police department in this case and this police chief, from what I can see and, you know, from what we have unfolded in the last several days, I think has uh, has shown himself to be transparent. The mm-hmm. department has shown itself to be forthcoming. They've shared information as they've learned it and as it was, you know, basically was was responsible. I do have a concern about raising the profile of the shooter, giving them a platform if this manifesto was something which is somehow, you know, going to only, you know, become sort of like the, I don't know, the Unabomber type of, you know, you right. know, you know uh, here's some pe- people actually might glom onto this and say this person's a cult hero. I So I I think from a prosecutorial standpoint, first of all, the, the reason why you look at a manifesto is because you want to stop something like this from happening again. Mm-hmm. You want to understand motivations. You, Scott, you pointed out on the CNN this past week, for instance, we still don't quite know what happened in, in Las Vegas with the we don't. terrible situation there. No. But, so it's, it, it and, is, you know, someone off the air was telling me they don't actually even know what happened at Pulse nightclub. Is that right? There's a basic, I think, broad there's, assumption. There's an assumption because but it was— they don't, But they yeah. don't, they're, they're, they don't yeah. actually know. So the reason why you, yeah. why you look into that is because you want to prevent future tragedy. But my concern, Sean, is that I, I want to give them a little bit of grace here in yeah. terms of the timing and how they decide to deal with that, whatever was written. To- totally agree. And so let me let me clarify my previous comment about releasing this manifesto. I think probably more of my my comment was directed at had this been like one of these other situations, there would have been nothing but calls for the manifesto to been released. Because I agree that in a in a in a perfect world. 
we should we should not do that because of of what you just said. Inspiring a copycat, that sort of deal. But my criticism, I think, is more aimed at members of the press and these same liberal activists who, if the, if if this was any of the previous situations, they would have been calling for it to be released, and there would have been some level of curiosity in the part of the journalists covering this to try to find out what was in that manifesto. And right now what we have is the total opposite, which is that not only the tweets that you've read, Scott, about, you know, has anyone checked in with the, the school community down there, but there's this, there's this national effort to basically cover up what this person thought. I, I think in most of these cases there is some degree of mental illness that's inherent in these activities. But that mental illness is surrounded by something and is, you know, there, there's a, you know, there's mental illness and then there's, there's some kind of scaffolding around it. You know, I think we deserve to know. I think we deserve to know. And so I, I understand your reservation. I think you've made great points. We've had some private conversations about it, but I just, Maybe I don't in the know. way it's released, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'll tell you who I trust is the police chief in Nashville. Right. Yeah, that's what I was saying. He has yeah. been fully, and so even if it was just him, characterizing it, describing it, mm-hmm. because it, I, I, I don't know. He he strikes me as a straight shooter, a trustworthy guy, and I tell you, what, I don't trust some of the politicians from Nashville I've seen on who who are clearly liberal, and so they're obviously feeling you know, some political pressure. So the police chief, though, if he were to characterize it as a as a middle ground on this, I, I could see how that could work. Yeah, I, Scott mentioned the 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 Pulse nightclub shooting. I think if you polled most people, they would think that was an anti LGBT attack, yeah. which we know from the FBI's I mean, text messages and his Google searches. The shooter's text messages and Google searches didn't even know it was a gay nightclub. Yeah. In fact, like Google at the last minute, like just clubs nearby. Um, and so I do think there is this like rush to judgment sometimes to fit these things in a box so they fit your narrative. And those can be really, you know, inspire copy, right? Is that a signal to the other, you know, shooter who wants to kill a bunch of gay people that like, okay, this we're doing this now, it's on, you know? And so I do think you're right, Joe, that the, this has to be sort of tempered and that either released in the right way or, uh, you know, done in the right way, the right information let out. We, we even see some news outlets not, they don't run the name of the shooter anymore to, to try to not inspire or create any sort of like cult hero out of these people. So I, I do think, again, this is the, because these tragedies are so bad, we all want to be so emotional so quickly about them. And we all want the answers right away. And we all want to know how to prevent them right away. And sometimes it, it takes some time to figure out why it happened and what we can do to try to prevent you know, uh, similar like things in the future. And and hopefully, I, I think the Nashville Police Department understands that and is handling this correctly. And so, again, I, I think there's a way to do this so the public understands what happened without sort of tainting uh, the, the story or the narrative. I was reading, to, I need to read more about this, but uh, Jim Garrity at National Review was writing today about, because, you know, in the wake of these things, there's always a discussion of what laws need to be passed and what policy needs to be changed. Apparently, there are some laws in Tennessee that might have allowed 
Because this person, this shooter, was apparently under some kind of mental care, like under mental health supervision. And so apparently there are, are some laws in Nashville that might have, if, if they had been utilized, allowed the reporting of that and then would have prevented the gun purchases. And so I, I want to dig into that a little more and see. I think one thing I've learned over these shooting incidents over the years and having to react to them on the air is that in a lot of cases, there are existing laws that could have been employed that would have potentially impacted the outcome or even stopped it altogether. Mm-hmm. And there's always people that want to pass new laws or take you know, guns away or whatever. But no one ever stops to ask, are we actually enforcing the laws that we have? And at the federal level, there are some gun laws that are rarely enforced that, uh, if they were, would probably take more guns out of the hands of criminals or, or mentally ill people. So, And that's just the Department of Justice choosing not to enforce them, you know. And so I'd like to learn more about that in Tennessee. I need to read a little bit more about it. But I, I do think it's worth looking at. It's there's I think there's always a reaction. Like, Let's pass a law. But I think it's important to stop and ask, what, what law would have made a difference? And are there already laws that could get you what you want? And it just the, the, the people need to be more aware of them. Yeah, I, I think there's – I may be off on this statistic, but I think the Gabby Giffords organization tracks this. I mean, I think since Columbine, there's been like 300 law, gun laws, like restrictive gun laws passed. And one of the big things is, is they're, just, they're just not enforced. And so there is a lot of ways to – to truly catch these people, but unfortunately, there's not always the enforcement there, or or even things like uh, school resource officers. Laws were passed, but they were never funded, or things like that, right? And so there needs to be a, a re-emphasis. Well, we could we could talk this one to death. I I just think God bless these cops, and God be with those parents and the families of those people that were killed, because it's a uh, it's just hard to fathom that happening in a community. And uh, I tell you. From the Wall Street Journal on Monday, an exclusive from the Wall Street Journal and a NORC poll, patriotism, religious faith, having children, and other priorities that help define the national character for generations are receding in importance to Americans. This new poll, it's the uh, NORC at the University of Chicago is a nonpartisan research organization. It finds the country sharply divided, Sean, by political party over social trends, such as the push for racial diversity in business and the use of gender-neutral pronouns. But really, we're talking about a sea change and how people view their, their, their nation, their, 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 their patriotism for their country, religion in general, family, community involvement, as well as money. Yeah, and so I, this, this poll kind of shocked me because I, I looked at these, these values, most of them, four out of the five, uh, patriotism, religion, having children, community involvement, and money. Uh, the first four I view as being flyover country values, you know, patriotism, love of country, going to church, having kids, knowing your neighbor and being involved, volunteering, giving back. And uh, some really shocking numbers. Patriotism dropped from in 1998. It was at 70 percent, dropped to 38 percent in 2023. You know, that could okay, just time out here for a minute. Scott, you've been dealing with polls for a long time and surveys. That kind of – it's one thing to see kind of a variance, but that kind of a upside-down uh, – you know, it's like the – what was it in fractions? It's like the you – know, yeah. you're, you're flipping the, the, the denominator there. What is, is that – how do you even re- react to that? Well, a friend of mine, a professional pollster named Patrick Ruffini, 
who has a company called Echelon Insights, immediately sort of swung into action to call into question about whether you should be able to or, or you should be comparing the results of this survey versus previous because of the way this survey the methodology was taken, a yeah. totally different methodology. Right. And so I, I would just say, if you want to read about Patrick's mm-hmm. analysis, so that he was saying it, this may not be as bad as it sounds. Um, it's still a number. <laughs> it's still a number, and it's all we have. And obvious, and but look, I think just look around. I mean, obviously there has been a degradation in these values. Right. I mean, numbers. I mean, I don't know what the exact numbers are, methodology, whatever. But it's obvious. Just look around. But if you look, if you look, if you look at the actual survey questions itself, so beyond the beyond the swings, you know, forty eight percent of the people in this poll said that their gender is essential to their identity, outpacing religion. At thirty four percent. And so we've largely are a society now where your gender is the most important part of your identity or that most Americans view that. Another thing that I thought was interesting was that 63 percent said that companies should not be taking public stands on social and political issues. And I think that that is something that, you know, we talk a lot here about Ron DeSantis and what has been – Responsible for a lot of his partic- uh, political success down in Florida, and I think that you know he might be hitting on something there. You know, regardless of the of the methodology on this thing and how how it all you know how we should be comparing it directionally, it feels right. But meaning that it feels accurate. If, yes, um, but I have to say, uh, I mean, it's understandable. I mean, th- there is an entire group of people out there who are dedicated to the political ideology that America is rotten at its core and that everything that has sprang forth, sprung forth since its founding is therefore rotten. So the American founding was rotten. The founders were rotten. The Constitution was rotten. The values that sort of undergird the civil society that sprang up around that is rotten. And so you have a, a political faction out there this this is their manifesto imagine if that was being taught in the schools <laughs> this is the Bashir glass curriculum essentially what you're laying out here scott right that these things are bad people are evil those in power are against you so you if know. you have if you have this kind of ideology uh pervading our national political conversations well guess what some people are going to buy it that's that's the difference i think between the right and the left right now I mean, there are people on the left who fundamentally hate the United States because they believe it was rotten from day one and that it must be deconstructed and rebuilt. This poll seems to suggest that the left is winning. Well, that's the that's the that's the great (laughs) problem with with the direction of this is conservatives have to take note this ideology, this idea that America and American values are somehow bad and you shouldn't have them. I tell you what I think goes on is that there are people who probably inside feel patriotic and they feel like America is good, but they don't feel like they're allowed to say that because mm-hmm. they're fearful of social ostracization. Right? Yeah, this is an interesting point because we've we, we've known uh, church attendance has been declining for, for many years now, for many not many decades now. But when you ask those people, Either, you know, do you go to church or do you find yourself religious? Of course, I'm I'm the most religious guy I know. 
because there was this sense of like, that's the right thing to do. That's what we aspire to. And so that's what was shocking to me is, you know, even if church attendance was down, that that value or, you know, even if you didn't love the Trump years, you still felt like, no, nah, but I, I don't have to love my president, but I love my country. Right. And there was always this aspiring, you know, to these values, these American values. Again, what's concerning to me is that it seems like people are losing that or they're afraid to embrace these things anymore. Even when we've known that, you know, these trends have been kind of going downward, we always aspired to be better. It seems like people are starting to sort of lose that that aspiration. I think that I wrote a column about this a while back. There was a survey about people essentially being afraid to speak their mind because they don't want to have themselves kicked out of their social circles or ostracized at work or or whatever. Uh, I, I think that's a big part of this because mm-hmm. I think I mean there's just a lot of things going on in America right now that deep down I think people know are fundamentally flawed or they disagree with, but they they wh- whatever it is that, that exists in their life. They're afraid that if they say if they speak their mind and say I don't agree with this that there, something bad is going to happen and that's because on the left there there is like a squad of people who run around actively trying to hurt people who have a different opinion. This is uh, and this is kind of bookending the top of the show, Scott. As far as your role on CNN, <laughs> you're you're the flyover country ambassador, you know, to uh, to to that network and to uh, to a whole country of people who otherwise wouldn't hear that perspective, at least not as eloquently as you give it. Good compliment from Joe to Scott. Um, Thank you for that. So the second one of the night? So I'm telling you. No, I think Scott's done an exceptional job. <laughs> I really do. I, 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 and I think it's important. And I, we, we have a lot of fun here, but ultimately when we talk about matters that are this important, I think it's important that someone speaks up for that. But I have to ask you a question, a mm. little, little behind the curtain of CNN, or just in general, because... I mean, heck, you were at the Gridiron Club. You were mm-hmm. at these different places that you're at the cocktail parties. In other words, where the folks that are in the intelligentsia traffic, where where, where they get it. And the question is, is the, the whole concept of not being comfortable, the people who aren't going to speak up because they still want to be invited to the party or because they don't want to make a scene. And they know that, face it, the people who are going to react the most um, – aggravated or you know violently in some way in speech are the people who are if you are honest about your conservative beliefs you're much more likely to be shouted down and asked to leave somewhere than the opposite so i'm just curious about do you ever feel that pressure of like the people are looking at you saying like you're some kind of alien or I, i'm just curious about that, the whole atmosphere of all that are, are you accepted well, sure. I, I feel the pressure because it's easy to look around and see people who for many, many years made a very good living as Republican consultants or conservative thinkers or whatever who have traded in their entire identity for Twitter clicks, Twitter likes. Mm-hmm. That's how they make a living now is by being you know, the Republican who's willing to attack the Republican. There's a whole industry of that. So, so the temptation to do that is obviously there because people fall for it every day. But I just, that's not my job. My job isn't self-aggrandizement. My job is to faithfully reflect my own values, my own experience. And honestly, you know, what I feel is the conversation that is being had in middle America. That's my job. My job isn't to advance myself. If I wanted to advance myself, it'd be an easy way to do that. You can look all over Twitter and find the the, the former Republicans who are— you know, who's trying to make a new living as, as the new liberal, whatever, elites. It's just, who are you? 
<laughs> you know, I mean, what do you really believe? I'm going to I'm going to say what I believe. And it, and by the way, it's it, I, I am frequently surrounded. We had a panel the other night about reparations. Yeah. There are five people at the table. One of us said reparations were bad and there should be zero. Everybody else came in <laughs> somewhere between two and a half million and, and up. Yeah. And and we were t- and so but I'm often the person sitting in the middle of that saying I, no. And then but if you look at the polling, most of the time I'm pretty well where the <laughs> most of the country is. Right. And so, yeah, there, there's, a, you know, it, it would be easy just to give in and say, OK, fine, you win this round. But I just don't believe in it. What would what would be the good of that? Do people, though, I guess I'm, I'm when you live in a bubble, sometimes it's very difficult to even imagine that someone lives outside that bubble. So are there people that you meet that look at you sure. and say they think that you're just maybe putting on an act? Uh, I think here's what I believe. I believe that there are people in urban centers who do live in a bubble. I don't think they're bad people. Mm-hmm. In fact, I mean, most of the people I work with in these settings, I, I actually really like. I adore them. I think they're smart. I think a lot of them are extremely well-spoken. They're sharp. They're smart. You know, they're quick-witted. Like, there's a lot of talent there. But I do think they live in an urban bubble, and they probably think I live in a rural bubble. You know, they probably think, well, you know, Scott just isn't as, isn't exposed to enough enlightened opinions, and, <laughs> and I probably think they're just not exposed to enough country people. So maybe— Maybe we're both in bubbles, but I, and so that doesn't necessarily make anybody bad, but it is instructive in that we should always be seeking information, not just because it confirms our priors, but because it it helps us inform our own views. That's what I find actually pretty valuable about these conversations, uh, that I have on the air. It's that I, I, you know, ultimately I'm, I'm sitting there talking with four or five people who, you know, honestly, I'm probably the only person of, of my viewpoint they're talking to. And, you know, some days maybe they're the only person of their viewpoint that I'm talking to. There's something inherently good about that. Uh, but, but I think it's pretty obvious. We don't have enough of that cross mojination, <laughs> you know, to borrow a phrase going on in America right now, because, because we've made it all too easy to only be uh, to only be, um, we made it all too easy to, to 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 only get information that is confirmation bias, right? And and our, the technology we use to obtain information has made it so that we don't have to see anything that would shake our prior, you know, con, our, our, our priors. And Sean, that does seem to back up what this poll shows, right? That, that, that this is a whole kind of confirmation bias. Yeah, and if you look at. Another aspect of the poll, and I don't know the exact methodology of this part of the poll. I can't remember if it was comparing, you know, this poll to a previous poll from 1998, but actually it wasn't. It was from a few years ago about how tolerance had declined dramatically uh, from 80 percent like three or four years ago to something like 50 some odd percent. So I think that there is a there is a total uh, total decline in that, and I think it's we all agree it's important to have somebody like Scott on CNN to to just provide a, another perspective. It, it's it's interesting. I get attacked by liberals all the time. And, well, I don't. CNN gets attacked. You know, why do you allow Scott Jennings on right. there? Because they can't stand it that someone said something they disagreed with. But at the same time, I do get questioned by conservatives. Like, why do you work for them? Right. Why do you participate in that? And I, and so the impulse is actually the same. Like you have two people on opposite ends of the political spectrum who just want 
segregation <laughs> of, right. of of viewpoints. My view is uh, mixing the mixing of, of viewpoints inside political conversations is inherently good. Even if I disagree with everyone else sitting out there, the fact that I got my my two cents in is a good thing. And, th- and they probably think the fact that they got to attack me is a good thing. But it's th- a fact that we're talking and trying to model some kind of conversation uh, is is a good that's the that's the purpose of free speech in a society i think and and i this impulse by people on the far right and the far left to demand the segregation of people who who have different views or or that you can only you can only mingle with people who are you agree with 100% of the time i mean how many people on the right right now who are trump supporters would would want to kick out i mean look they're they're angrier with ron DeSantis than they are joe biden and so I, I, I just I don't know I I don't know what causes this, but I find it incredibly weird. Yeah, there there was some polling a few years ago. I, I think it was from AI on relationships or dating, basically, and a, a huge percentage of both parties could never imagine dating somebody who you know Republican could never imagine going on a date with a Democrat and and vice versa, and that's really bizarre to me, right? Like that just because of one indicator. Or, you know, you lean one way that you wouldn't want to even attempt to affiliate with somebody. It is a really kind of bizarre silo mentality. I'll tell you one of the reasons, Scott, why I think it is as intensified, and that is technology. Yes. Uh, We have created a whole infrastructure that has, it's taken, you and I had a conversation a long time ago, Scott, about raising our respective children and about having to compete with an army of programmers at some place in you know, Asia, you know, creating some video game, you know, and here I'm just trying to get my son's attention on something or other. And I'm competing with a thousand really smart people who have programmed something with algorithms to make it addictive and to keep playing in that game. Well, that can be used in these other issues too, and how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about each other. And that's where, frankly, the whole TikTok, uh, some of this debate comes in, is that you're talking about as a whole industry geared around getting you to get sucked in, to to watch, to repeat, to share, and to reinforce the things that you're most likely to to enjoy. Where in society do we still maintain sort of like, I don't care what the person next to me thinks? Like, because, you know, Jared, your point about the dating. I know. I was, yeah. Can I stay where? Absolutely. Because... Thursday's opening day. Yes. Yeah. Sports. Sports. Major yep. League Baseball opening day. Well, of course, I'm mainly a baseball well, fan. But I'm saying when I go to baseball games, when I go to St. Louis or Cincinnati, whatever else, I know that I am surrounded by people, more, and I hope I am, of all different backgrounds and belief systems. But we can come together on this this, this very this, this commonality here, and it's okay. I can still high-five you. I can hug you. You know. So sports is one. You know, when you get seated at a table at a restaurant, I guess you don't know— what the politics of the people at the next table are. It used to be church. I used to believe that I can go to church and people will be different. I think it's less that likely that way now. I still think maybe the church I go to, Sean, is is, is a place that has a variety of yeah. views there. Yeah, maybe if you go to the store, you don't really know, I guess. I just, All it, depends what store. Whole the, Foods versus Kroger. You know. <laughs> but the, you know, it, it does make you a little fearful. If, if people aren't willing to date someone with different politics, at what point are they going to start asking, well, I'll, I'll be willing to buy tickets to this thing but yeah. i don't want to i want to know who's sitting around because i don't want to be sitting next to 
a liberal or a, yeah. or a Republican, you know, I, 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 I mean, even go on a date, right? Like it's one thing to marry somebody who has a completely different worldview of how to raise children or, you know, religious issue or whatever. It's one thing to marry that person just to go on a date, like figure out like, oh, no, 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 we're from the same political party, but that person's crazy. Like, you know, like even the hesitation to like to break that first wall down is, is really strange to me. But even in sports, you know, there is a little bit of infringement now oh. because the teams you're gonna aggravate me now with the jerseys and yeah. and, and you ha- then the you have you signaling you then you must have the, wear this jersey otherwise you're you know and then a not player a human. and then a player you know says i'm not gonna do it and then there's all this outrage machine around it yeah. and so you, you you can feel just yeah. sports being a little bit infringed upon not not the crowd yet but you know it's coming is my fear, and that's ultimately you're, bad. You're, you're right. Uh, Bill Maher did his monologue maybe last weekend, two weekends ago, about sports is the last vestige of like meritocracy. Yeah. Whereas like <laughs> uh, entertainment and media and all these other things are dominated by like nepotism and Hollywood. Like everybody, everybody's a star in Hollywood now. Apparently, it's just because their parent yeah. grew up in Hollywood, which mm-hmm. I didn't realize. But nepo babies, I think nepo babies, yeah. yeah. Um, and because sports is the, that last vestige, I of, can't pronounce the governor's name back in 1900. Go, go ahead. <laughs> a little bit, I don't know. It's one of those cultural things too. Like I, I've never heard Nepo babies before, but yeah, that last vestige of, of meritocracy and is the, the great uniter, right? Like sports is, and maybe there's something to take from that. Like, you know, we, we've been going for a while tonight, but I did want to talk about, you mentioned TikTok, yeah. and I don't think we should dwell on it, but just quickly, who in here thinks we ought to ban it? I certainly think that from a national security standpoint that no government devices should be allowed to use that as far as the Chinese being able to uh, I didn't ask you that. that. <laughs> I asked you if you want to ban it. I'm uncomfortable with banning it altogether. All right, so you're a no. Jared? I, I think I'll take the same position as Joe. You're a no, Sean? I'm for banning it. I am too. But I want to say what I'm for is I'm for just banning the app. I'm not for creating some sort of new government bureaucracy to police this stuff. I want to ban the app. You know what I think is interesting about this conversation is that a lot of people on Capitol Hill are making a big deal about banning it for national security reasons, which I agree with, but I actually think it's secondary. It's more of what I talked about a moment ago in terms of dividing our country. Well, I think think there's a lot of evidence that the, the Chinese Communist Party is using it to poison American culture. Yes. They don't even allow TikTok as we know it in China. They don't allow their own people... It's like all educational videos. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like National well, Geographic. Yes. And meanwhile, over here we've got we've got kids like you know putting filters on their faces that. <laughs> I mean, I do think that that. To are the, you saying they're turning them into digital furries? Okay. I did not. Here's the, I did not say that, but I didn't, didn't have to. not I, not say it. Put your hat back on. I, uh, I'm wearing it now. I, here's the thing. I actually agree with you, Scott. Is that I actually am more concerned about like the cultural impact, yes. the impact on kids' brains. There's a part of me though that that thinks it, it feels a little bit about like rap music in the '90s, and we uh. thought that that was going to create a new generation. This is so. This of, is the, the difference. Is I, though I there is someone sitting behind the dials in China at the Communist Party who is choosing when to turn up the dials on our children. So in that degree, I, I could be convinced to Sean and Scott's way of thinking, but in general, my libertarian part of me says, let's not ban yeah. Well, that's this where is Rand media. Paul is. Rand yeah. Paul right. is, is there on this that. This is not like Dr. Dre putting out a new album. 
No, but like or you know, our this, TV so I, in I the fifties. This, this this is this is this is an app that was created by a company owned by the Chinese Communist Party. This I, I, I have a question. Isn't there? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jerry. Well, I, again, and I'm and I'm. This is not an apples to apples uh, comparison, but I made this point to somebody the other day. When Nas wrote Ether and sang one of the greatest rap songs of all time about killing Jay Z, and is one of Nas's most streamed songs of all time, we probably weren't like, yeah, that's what we want kids listening to and absorbing and, and glorifying violence, and especially in the you know inner city black youth. But there's still an element to it where it's like even the bad ideas get the sunshine, like even the even the ones that rot no. our brains. No, I, like not, you, not on this, not on this. And, and this I, is this is terrible. This is poison. It is bad. Well, so would you? Well, well, wait, wait. Let me ask you. Reels then too. Hold on. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe the Chinese Communist Party, at a minimum, thinks it's amazing? That American culture and American youth are being rotted by this app. At a minimum, they think it's great. You agree with that? And do you yes, think? And, 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 okay, I let me ask you another question. Deliberately manipulating, trying to try at least trying to deliberately ma- manipulate. Okay, that was my next question. Yeah. So, if you believe they think it's good that we're being destroyed <laughs> by this app, and that they deliberately did it, and you still want to leave it? I just again, I don't, I don't like. Does that mean we should? Ban French fries because they're hurting people too. Like I don't know that. Do the communists ev- own the French fries? Ever, probably some of them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but, do you, but so I, Utah, Utah just, just passed this bill. Utah just passed a bill <laughs> that would require parents sign. Like you'd have to get a permission from a parent to sign on to one of these apps. Would you even be? Would you even be? Uh, yes. Could, that, could we those sorts there? of things that I think I think are much more reasonable. Mm. But but all for the Chinese Communist Party no, controlling our children. I would hope okay, for well. <laughs> No, I, well, I we would, we know Joe's proclivities. I mean, he said early on in this podcast. Joseph said. Joseph said he he thought it. He, they, thought, they, they, he they, thinks they, the Russians need an app like they, this. They disbanded Russia today. Now I see you've just moved on to TikTok. <laughs> I name. said a moment ago that I could be convinced of your maybe not anymore of your. Hang on, I'm getting a call. He's got to check in with Vladimir Putin. He's got to check in with Vlad. The fact that I'm open to listening to what other people are saying about this, but but here's the thing: it is it, it kind of reminds me. If you think about it, you could you could characterize this as sort of like a science fiction plot from the '50s. If you would, to Sean's point before, if you would say there is going to be a communist conspiracy to somehow be able to implant, to to implant and to aggravate and and, and to prompt, basically. Uh, Mental illness and and serious, uh, you know, divisions among people, and we can we can control it from a different country and get into your children's minds. There's no question you would ban that. So the question is, is though, is this is are we making too big of a deal of it? No. What what did, what did, what did AOC say, AOC say about this? Uh, well, she's a big fan of it. So. She's a big fan. Well, of no, TikTok. wait. She didn't even have TikTok, and she then she she created an account for the purpose of coming on and railing against banning it. So she didn't even have TikTok. Hey everyone, this is Rep AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and this is my first TikTok. Now, this is not only my first TikTok, but it is a TikTok about TikTok. Now, (laughs) this week, the CEO of TikTok came and testified before Congress as there is growing rumblings and discussion over a nationwide ban on the app. Do I believe TikTok should be banned? No. All right, pause. Why should TikTok not be banned? I just want to... First of all... I just want to point out that Joe and Jared are aligned with AOC, 
and Scott and Sean are aligned against AOC. He may continue. Go ahead. Continue. continue. We're going to move on. (laughs) No, we should listen to this video on this app that you all love so much with AOC. So why don't we listen to the rest of the video? Sean, you've been doing well for like the last two or three months, and don't don't completely just take the bait from this one. I have had this position long before. No, no, I'm talking about against me. <laughs> oh. Well, I've had that position don't, too. I know. Don't mischaracterize what I said. I think uh, I've been I've been fairly supportive of what you're saying. I'm just saying is I'm I'm, I'm generally uncomfortable mm-hmm. with banning media. I I, I I would much rather that we take personal responsibility for what we consume and how we propagate it. I I'm also I'm also skeptical of Instagram reels. Well, I just think it sets a bad precedent to to, to Joe's point that at any media that we think is pushing us in the wrong direction. It's not just it's the, not any it, media. Even if we It is essentially a a a, a TikToking time bomb oh. sent to the United States by our enemy. I, I don't deny that, but other I mean, other countries have done this in the past using American made Social media companies. I mean, I, again, the, the, should I we don't sc- know that it's the fault that it's their fault. He's fixing. He's fixing to defend the, the CCP. Scott, Go should, ahead. Should we? Should we? <laughs> should we like China, Scott? The like silver China. lining Scott is and Sean. Should, should we like China? Which is, it seems to me that what you're saying is is that we should be able to get into the internet domains and be able to block certain websites, block certain access to certain uh, conversations because they don't agree with our particular value system. Do you agree with that? It sounds to me you're trying you're in favor of censorship. No, I Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's I'll, not I, the no, I'm in I I believe this particular app was sent here for a reason and it is to destabilize the United States over a long period. This is the alien spaceship. This is the That is what I believe. Mm-hmm. And and the, to me, the strongest evidence of it is they will not permit it for their own people. They know I heard somebody describe it as digital fentanyl. They we, sent it here. Do we have time for Morgan McGarvey's phone call? Nah, let's or, do it. Let's do it when we come back from break. Okay, yeah, spring I, break. I, I think so too. <laughs> this has been going on for quite a while, and I think it's the time for us to. Uh, I know the good news sing. for you two is that at this point, everyone may have turned it off, so they may not know you've sided with the communist Chinese <laughs> and TikTok AOC. and AOC. But don't worry, yeah, I'll tweet but... it. <laughs> well, you sided with the Chinese communists in terms of censorship and blocking certain website domains, right? No, I'm against TikTok. You're I'm for confused. it, and you're with AOC. You and AOC like this. You're aligned. You're right here. Together. Stuck together. Birds of a liberal feather. I did miss a call from her earlier. <laughs> so lest we forget, Senator Rand Paul is also on our side of this issue. So I'm on the other side yet. I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm I'm open minded about it. I'm I'm listening to evidence. I'll come back in two weeks and tell you. Speaking of which, have a great spring break. Scott, what's lined up next week on Flyover Country? Next week we have a couple of great pieces of content lined up for our listeners. Number one, we were honored to be able to interview the Attorney General of Mississippi, Lynn Fitch, came by the studio a couple of days ago, and I sat down with her. Kevin was here. It was before his uh, 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 probation, <laughs> so he was in on that. Oh, yeah, Jared right. was here. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Lynn Fitch, we'll have an interview with the AG that took the Dobbs case to the Supreme Court. We talked a lot about that and the aftermath of it and, and really what does a post-Dobbs uh, America look like, and what does a post-Dobbs Republican Party need to look like? It's a great interview. She was terrific. And then my column on 
baseball and the new rules I read into the record. We'll release that next week. That's great. For in the in honor of baseball start. By the way, I have to tell you guys, I had to go to the bank today to deposit my royalties check from getting from writing this column for the LA Times and I and I looked at it right before I handed it to the teller. I just smirked to myself and said, I got paid to annoy Joe Arnold. <laughs> this is the greatest paycheck. I almost just took it back and framed it. But then I deposited it. But it was amazing. Amazing feeling to get paid to give you that look that you have on your face right now. <laughs> you should be used to it. I would have done it for free, and yet they pay me to do it. Anyway, baseball column, Lynn Fitch, and then we'll come back from spring break, and we'll uh, get the gang back together. And then in the month of April, we are going to interview the Republican candidates for governor, and we're going to hear from them at some point in the month of April. And by the time we do that, we should be – I guess we'll be in under a month before the Republican primary here in Kentucky, so that'll be kind of it. By the way, we haven't talked about the race, but the, the fur is flying. And by the time we come back, I predict uh, there'll be uh, lots of people on the air and more messages to discuss. So we'll have some more analysis of the governor's race in a couple of weeks. Anyway, that's what we're doing. Who's Who's got spring break plans? You? I don't get spring break. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Joe, you're going to? I'm going to Disney. Disney? I'm going to Philly. I'm going hey. to Washington, D.C. Jared, you're going to Beijing? Uh, yeah, I got, a meet, I got a meeting with some uh, friends. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, Comrade I'm, Crawford's got to report to the Forbidden City. I got, I'm taking my kids on a historical driving tour. We're going to visit a few uh, historical sites that I'll, I'll report on when I get back. It'll be amazing. And we're going to do some fun stuff, too. They won't hate me the entire time. But we're going to... It's going to be Scott Jennings National Park Service extravaganza. The message is anti-hate for Sean, <laughs> Scott, Jared. I'm Joe Arnold. Have a great week. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.